accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine right now. We are up to the episode called For the Cause, dramatically titled For the Cause. It is the 22nd episode of the fourth season, aired on May 6, 1996. Teleplay goes to Ron D. Moore. Story credit goes to Mark Garrett O'Connell, directed by James L. Conway. In this episode, Cisco discovers that Cassidy Yates may be a Maquis smuggler, and Garrick takes an interest in Zayal. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? I'm good. You know, I thought Deep Space Nine and I were starting to get on good terms, and then they had to go do me dirty like this. The 61 Yankees versus the 78 Red Sox just to run down the Red Sox? Come on, man. 7-3, to three, right, is the final score? I don't even know. Despite the fact I don't even know who was on those teams, it's just the <laughs> principle of the thing, you know? <laughs> Obviously, a lot, of, uh, a lot of New Yorker fans there, I think. 7-3 to three is a... Um, a show-stopping baseball game, I guess. I don't know who's on these 70. Is it the 78 Sox? Yeah. I don't know who that is either. Is that that's is that post-Yastrzemski? It might... Yastrzemski might be on that team, actually. It's fine. I, I don't... It, they didn't Fisk, say the 86 maybe. Sox or anything like that. It's a, It was a weird choice of years, anyway. The 60s yeah. Yankees and the 78 Sox. <clears throat> we, uh... Anyway. What am I doing here? We are going to be talking about For the Cause, which, um... You know is an episode that Jake Sisko is now a well-oiled enough uh, fuck machine, Clay, where he's no longer interested in just his sex life. He is very interested in his father's sex life. I know. That was that was that scene with him was like a step away from that uh, Eric Idle bit where he's like, you know, the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more. And just he just kept doing it over and over, like air quoting different things, <laughs> euphemizing sex. It was a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to put... No, you guys don't going to... Go camping or possibly head to Quarks. Yeah. Or maybe use the replicator. <laughs> Talk shop. Do some personnel reporting. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> we're going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back, and we're going to break down for the cause. Neither of us is doing anything so important that it can't wait for a few days. I'm not sure the Tholians would agree. Let your first officer handle it. Or better yet... Tell the Tholians they won't be getting this shipment at all. I don't think I can do that, Ben. I, I, I have a commitment to fulfill. But if you want to take a runabout and wait for me on Riser, I'll meet you there. <laughs> Forget about it. It's just a crazy idea. All right, Clay. So I would like to say before we start, yeah, well, go sorry, ahead. that I will I will be using going to quarks as a euphemism for sex from this point on <laughs> in the show. <laughs> that was a little bit of a longer preamble, but I wanted to get my Jake Sisko fuck machine joke in there, and I did. Oh, it's no joke. Now it's now it's now it's out of the way. So for the cause, um, for the cause is. A very interesting episode to me. For the Cause is an episode that feels dramatically different from everything else. It feels mm -hmm. very odd. It feels unique. 
And it actually, to me, feels like much later seasons of DS9, uh, just sort of stuck in the middle of season four. But before I pass it to you, I will say that uh, Amy watched this one with me. Amy is not my wife. Amy is not crazy about DS9. She's not your wife? <laughs> she's my wife, and she's not crazy about DS9. She won't be my wife for long. But she, she, <laughs> um, she was very intrigued and interested in this episode. Uh, to the point where she fell asleep towards the end, and then she woke. And this morning she was like, "I want to rewatch that episode," which is kind of unheard of for her. So, <laughs> why do you think she feels that way? And what did you think about for the cause? Um, I well, I don't, I don't know exactly why she felt that way because you know people are different. No, they're not. Uh, but I thought it was great. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I would say, if I had to hazard a guess, um. I don't know. I, you know, I, there's something I found the setup of Cassidy possibly being a smuggler very interesting. Um, because, well, it actually gives that relationship relationship something to do, uh, which they haven't really done anything with since they kind of um, really put it together, um, or at least in a while. Um, but it also puts uh, it puts. Cisco in a very precarious position in terms of, you know, who to believe, uh, whether to trust his feelings or, you know, trust his instincts. Uh, but on top of that, on top of the relationship stuff, the I thought the conversation that they get into on the Defiant with Worf and O'Brien and Eddington was really interesting too um, because they present – some varied approaches to dealing with the Maquis and paint the Maquis as not just straight up bad guys. And in doing that, when you finally have the confrontation with Cisco and Cassidy and you see how that all plays out, it's not just a, oh, it turns out she was a mustache twirling villain the whole time. There's, there's some shades of gray there that have to be dealt with. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought it was a really good episode. It's um to me it feels like a very modern episode of TV and yeah. there's a couple of reasons for it. It feels you could almost say that it it's not a very big event of an episode even though it is big, but it, to me it feels like the story sort of spills beyond the boundaries of this 45 minutes. You know, like the what they're doing is both tied into the previous stuff that we've already seen and everything that they're going to be going forward. It feels like a very serialized episode of the show because of everything that um, sort of exists beyond the confines of the episode. And mm -hmm. the fact that the fact that everything is sort of moving along at its own pace and it has a lot of little character moments in it. I have a couple that I'll list off uh, afterwards. But the other big thing for me about this episode is that um, I think it's really well written. And it's one of the scripts that has all of the plot arcs that are going on all sort of tie into the theme of the uh, episode's title for the cause. So mm -hmm. you have what DS9 does well, and DS9 have, has a depth. The reason DS9 is so well-liked among Star Trek fans is because of the depth that the series brings to the show. Like it really transcends what TNG and TOS did, and it sort of modernizes the series, and it explores things in a little bit of a different way. And for the cause is a further uh, sort of delving into the politics of DS9, which it does pretty well. Like the, the politics of the show are pretty complicated at this point. There's a lot of different points of view going on. And this episode brings a whole bunch of them into a collision, 
with each other and mm-hmm. it sees how it shakes out. So Cisco has uh, his cause, which is adhering to the Federation's values. The Maquis have their cause, which is the war versus the Cardassians. Yates has her cause, which is to do what's right. Eddington has his cause, which is to basically kick back against what he thinks is bad Federation policy, essentially. And mm-hmm. it's all of these different character motivations that collide into one event. And that feels very modern to me. And the pieces are all laying about on the floor at this point. But it's not cleanly tied up. Uh, Cisco has a nemesis now in Eddington. Uh, Yates is a little bit off uh, the the reservation. So it's interesting. To me, it feels like a very... Uh, one of the patrons called this an adult episode of Star Trek, and I think I'd agree with that because it's very complicated and it doesn't end satisfyingly for anyone, I think. Yeah, I think I think there's a way you could have done this episode previously, either on Deep Space Nine or maybe on TNG, that uh, has... Well, I, sh- I shouldn't run down TNG like that, but... It's not running down. Yeah, and I, I would clarify too. TNG just had a different storytelling method than this. Right, and it was right. this is an evolution of what TNG was doing for a storytelling. Yeah. Um, but I think I think there's a, a the a, the way a story like this would previously have been handled was would be you would get one of those outcomes, not all of them. Where I think I, I could see this episode being starts off with uh Cassidy being um accused of being a smuggler and then you get to the end and it turns out she's not a smuggler but Eddington is a is a maquis and he set the whole thing up and framed her blah 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 so that way you you get your although on TNG Eddington would be a character we've never seen before yeah and uh Cassidy would be like I don't know Troy or something I don't it's know. Funny. But, you know like there's there's a way to to do this story and not have to deal with the repercussions of it. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the fact that they don't, they turn Eddington and they turn Cassidy is is a pretty substantial shakeup as far as the uh, um, uh, status quo of of the uh, relationships of the characters and of the the um, you know different planets are. Yeah. 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 And. It's funny when you, we did the last uh, one of the last Eddington appearances, we had talked about Eddington for a couple minutes, and you're like, you know, we're probably talking about a character who's really not going to amount to anything in the future. Mm. Um, he's not a huge character, but he does have this arc, uh, and he is going to return in the future. And I love, I love that they used him as a mouthpiece to basically express uh, all of the "Hey, wait a minute" thoughts about the Federation. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. like and stuff that we've kind of jokingly mentioned in the past, and they've kind of touched on a bit here and there up to this point. Eddington just lays it out, and he's like, you know, you guys aren't that much different from the Borg, asshole. Um, <laughs> and it's 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 really interesting to see somebody just throw it back in the Federation's face like that. Yeah, he it calls back the um, the speech in the Maquis that Cisco had about saints in paradise because he mentions paradise again. Uh, no one's allowed to leave paradise, but his um. Yeah, that's and that felt like a very grown-up way of handling that too, because Eddington has his speech there where he sort of rants about why he's done this, and uh, I really love his point about the Federation just wants the Cardassians to be part of the Federation too. That's why they're helping yeah. them, and and it's like it is true. Like, what what is the why is the Federation doing this outside of the goodwill of their heart? It's basically to sort of uh, homogenize everything in the in the quadrant for them because it makes everything easier if everything is under the Federation's sort of uh, value system. 
But yeah, the- and you can you can kind of look at it two ways. I mean, you can look at it the optimistic way, which is, well, yeah, of course the Federation wants Cardassia to be part of the Federation because the more people that are part of the Federation, the more like unity and there won't, you know, the easier things will go right and there'll be less war and get people getting along, et cetera, et cetera. But the other side of that is, yeah, of course they want Cardassia as part of the Federation so they don't have to deal with Cardassia and they don't have to deal with Cardassia being like a bunch of upstarts and they're just part of the, part of the team, you know? Yes. Yes. They're, they're bringing their, uh, you know, you're sort of absorbing Cardassia's knowledge base and stuff too. You're sort of you're just bringing everything in to improve yourself at that point. And, and you know, it's I think you can ex- extend it to Starfleet too. I mean, it if you look at Starfleet um, through a pessimistic lens, I mean, the Starfleet uniform just becomes a the hom- the homogenizing, as you're saying, or or uh, uh, suppressing of of your native culture. Kind yep. of, you know, yeah, because you've got, yeah, oh, on the optimistic side, oh, it's great. Look at all these different races working together, blah, 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 blah. But then on the pessimistic side, you're like, yeah, look, they've all been, they're all conforming to the same master. They've all wearing the same thing. You know, it's, it's a very much, uh, you can swing both ways with it. Yeah. Yeah. It ties into the, um, the values of the whole show too. You're like, obviously, I think that the Federation has like, good values especially compared to things like the klingons and the cardassians and the borg and stuff like that but it is true that it's a it's a little bit of a relativist argument i guess is that your the federation's values are no better than anyone else's i think that's kind of wrong but because they are better than everyone else's in this galaxy's uh values or at least most of them if they're not in the federation but i think that the you, oh go ahead oh i, I think it's just the argument against that would be the sort of cultural relative argument that like who is the federation to come in and tell them how to do things but i think it's more interesting in the way that you're saying which is that it's more of a power grab for the federation and it's a way to um soothe conflict if if everyone is in the federation there's no more war that they're having with their bordering neighboring uh like sort of neighbors in the galaxy and i think that's a better way to look at it yeah no i think i think that's the intended way to look at it but you know uh I, I definitely think that someone with a more pessimistic bent could go the other way. I mean, if you, if you look at the, uh, uh, the actual world we live in, to most people, the, the concept of the United Nations is a very good concept. But there are people, I'm not going to say who, uh, who seem to think the United Nations is a waste of time and is not really a great thing. Yep. Uh, and it's, it, you know, it, it, there is always that, dark negative side to anything, no matter how positive it is. You know, it's funny that we watched this today because uh, yesterday I, I was, I've been, I just started watching the newest season of Supergirl and it's, uh, it's very topical. Like they're, they're, they have leaned into uh, uh, modern politics and, and uh, uh, like the me too ri- and everything, or is that too early uh, for this? It, it a little too early. For, I mean, it, it's a very girl powery show in general, but mm-hmm. like they they touch on like uh, you know because Supergirl is from another planet, they touch on a lot of like you know literalizing alien stuff, you know. So it's a lot of illegal alien stuff sometimes. And and this season, it seems like they are really they've dipped their toe, but this season seems like they're really getting into it. And I have to say, it's been really interesting because they they just the villain of the season is this guy named Agent Liberty. And who is very much uh, anti-alien to the point where he's putting together groups that are, you know, trying to kill these people. And they, they, he's very clearly a villain, but they spend this one episode 
showing you his entire backstory, how he went from a uh, fairly liberal college professor to completely <laughs> yeah. insane right-wing nut. Yeah. And the thing that is so great about it is they like you can't you sympathize with the guy. I mean there there's obviously there is this underlying uh xenophobia of, you know, that is the, the cause of this stuff, but everything that happens to him you're like, "Okay, I kind of see his point." From looking at it from his point of view, you know, obviously you know, I don't agree with what he does and stuff, but it's just like they, they, they do a really good job of taking this character and and that is straight up a bad guy and showing you how no, it's not exactly as easy as that in this situation. And I think they do the same thing in this episode pretty good. Um, yeah, they 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 present some pretty interesting concepts and they uh, they just kind of let them hang and let you think about them for a while. Yeah, it's a nice. Um, I mean, it sticks to the. What's kind of neat about it is that no one really compromises their cause in any way. Like Cisco ends up doing the right thing for a, a Starfleet officer at the very end, even though it's at a mm-hmm. great cost to himself. Um, the Maquis end up doing what they want to do. Eddington sticks to his guns and does what he wants to do. Yates, uh, while accepting responsibility for what she's done, is sort of acknowledges the fact that she lets her crew go. She makes that delivery. The, the Maquis are now stronger because of all the smuggling that she's done for them. And it's a, it's interesting to me that it's not a compromise episode. There's not a sort of um, meeting of the minds or anything. It's really just which pieces are going to win out. And if any of them do win out, like where they end up further down the board. And it's it's a neat little, I don't know. It's just, it's just, I think the script is just strong. It's just a strong yeah. idea. And it's also nicely subtle. Like Star, it does subtext in a way that Starfleet doesn't, or uh, uh, Star Trek doesn't usually do the, the scene where Cisco goes to stop Yates before she makes that last delivery and he's talking about let's go to Ryza together. Mm-hmm. They both know what the other one is talking about, but they're not talking about it. And that's a very, you know, that's a very um mature writing style there. It's a it's a it could be a little bit more mature, but it, it is Star Trek after all. But it, it comes across really well where you can see the anguish in both of them that neither can do what they really want to do because they are so bound by their cause, the the point of the episode. Yeah, and it's uh, I'm I'm always curious as to what the script looks like for scenes like that because if you take out if you just take the transcript of what's being said, you'd be like, "What the fuck is this scene?" You know, why why are they talking about going off on a Cisco's all of a sudden like, "Hey, man, let's just let's just go take a little vacation." She's like, "No, nah, I got stuff to do." Yeah. But, you know, when you see it played out, it's like, "Yeah, there's there's so much subtext to it and and I think it's I think it's one of the more subtle versions of that I've seen because I wasn't totally sure that she was onto him until the end of it because mm-hmm. he's playing it very much from the get go like hey uh, crazy idea um, do anything but what you're gonna do please yeah. yeah yeah and I felt like at first she's like no why why would we do that and then by the end she's like okay I get it all right yeah her final um, line is um I really it's something like I really want to do what you're saying or something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think usually those scenes when they do that stuff, both, both parties are pretty on the same level in terms of what they're actually talking about. So it was kind of nice intentional or otherwise, maybe I just, you know, it was just the way that I was reading it to have someone kind of like come, come to the realization of what he's actually saying. Yeah. Yep. What, um, and you know, I also, I also appreciate that they didn't, um, they didn't pull back on Cassidy at the end because I was thinking like, oh, I mean, 
She is delivering medical supplies and food and stuff, so maybe there's a chance that she says like, oh, I didn't even realize we were delivering it to terrorists or something like that. You or know, or like, Starfleet uh, doesn't take a hard line, maybe is the other outcome because of it's not weapons or anything like right, that. I, right. I feel you could write it that way, yeah. Yeah, so I was I was happy to see that they just, you know, actions and consequences, man. That's what makes stories work. I mean, the, the, other, the other bit of, it, it's not really subtle. I think it's just good uh, production, either the acting and the writing, is every interaction between Odo and Eddington while they're trying to tell Cisco about what their suspicions are is very good. Mm-hmm. Like the, they don't want to admit that it's Yates. They don't really have great evidence. They fight back against Cisco's pushback. The, the line that always sticks out to me is, um, Cisco says, you can, how can you make an accusation like this? And then Odo says, we haven't made any accusations. Um, mm. is just kind of a neat little conflict between those guys, but I thought it was subtly played. And the, I actually like Eddington's plan here it works for me in a way that a lot of like technically trying to plot a star trek episode doesn't work where eddington's trick to get cisco out of there is actually fairly clever i think and yeah um his plan really goes without a hitch and he shows himself to be pretty competent here in a way that maybe we haven't seen before but the other thing if you want to touch on that and the other thing about eddington is do you feel this comes out of nowhere or is this okay for this character at this point is this kind of reveal an okay thing to do um, as far turn. as the re- as far as the reveal goes, I don't see why it wouldn't be. Um, I don't I don't really remember him. You know, obviously I've seen him, but I don't remember his ethos well enough to be like, oh, this isn't. Is he the one that was like, uh, it was like, ah, it's too difficult for me to be a commander or some shit? Yes, like that? that's what this this whole idea was. This whole idea came out. I'll tell you this, and then you can go back to it, but. <clears throat> The whole thing, while this was in production, there was a lot of fan rumor mongering that Eddington was a changeling. So, oh, interesting. Th- the production staff wanted to do something with him, but they didn't want to make him a changeling. So they decided to just have him sort of be a turncoat like this. And apparently, they decided to do it. The whole point of that initial conversation he has with Cisco about rank and him not being able to change his life at this point is mm-hmm. supposed to be the foreshadowing for this. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's a good character to do it with. He's, he's been around long enough that he's kind of part of the crew, but he's not so important that you're turning like Kira into a villain or something yeah. like that. Yep. Um, <clears throat> what I did like is I thought that they played his turn very, very well. I thought it was, I, I did not even think about it until the, the, the second they cut back to him after Cisco was like, wait a minute. Um, when he's talking to the security officers about we need to do this and no one can talk to the outside world and stuff like that. Right. I I did did like that. They, I feel like there was in the writer's room, they were like, all right, that should be enough. Right. And then they're like, "Uh, I don't know. He needs to do one more thing to make it clear that he's now a bad guy. What if he shoots Kira? Yeah, that'll work. (laughs) Um, (laughs) what if she just happens to come into his, uh, I mean, it does make sense because she's a security officer and she's going to, he's going to take her out and stuff. I think she's the only, she's the only superior officer above him left, I think is the reason that he does that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought the two things that, that made his turn, they covered it really well was the fact that he takes part in that conversation about the Maquis, but he doesn't take a very suspicious position. Yep. Like he's he's not he doesn't have an argument with Worf about how the Maquis should be respected and blah. They're not terrorists, but that's O'Brien that does that. And then when they go to uh not that he goes that far, but you know what I mean. Um and then when they cut to him, he's like, Hey man, 
I just, just work a job. here. Yeah, just a just job. A job. And that, plus what he says earlier, um, when uh, they're talking about Cassidy and Cisco says uh, she's a st- she's a Federation citizen, you can't, you can't just take her rights away. And he goes, "Well, I mean, if it turns out she's a Maquis, then she doesn't have any rights." So yeah, it's another justify hint, the mean. Another hint of the show towards that uh, creeping authoritarianism that Odo some, sometimes represents. But that felt yeah, that felt very modern. That concern about like it's a, looking for a loophole to. Uh, take away somebody's rights is a very modern sort of concept uh, just because we deal with it every single day at this point. But yeah, the argument that uh, your rights aren't universal, which would be sort of the Roddenberry aspect or belief, I think, is that your rights are basically just defined by the law. If you're not a citizen, you don't have these rights. You don't deserve that sort of basic uh, dignity. Yeah. So in that line, combined with what he says during that argument, when you look back on it, he's he's running down the Federation pretty hard there. Yep. Like he's, he's, cause he's basically, you know, the, the good old, uh, I was just doing my job thing. There's a very specific historical equivalent for that phrase. Yeah. And, yep. uh, in the, in the point where you're watching it, you're going like, Oh, he just, you know, he's staying out of the argument, but then you look back and compared to what he says at the end and you're like, Oh man, he was actually playing his hand pretty, pretty well there where he's, being honest about what he thinks about the Federation, but not so much that you see it coming. Yeah, his his it's only a job thing. Uh, once it's revealed what his actual intentions are, it comes across more as he views Starfleet as just a job, kind of like it, it's a, he doesn't yeah. have anything. He is not bound to the uniform in the way that Cisco is. And uh, the conflict between those two is that, you know, early on, Cisco has the, I, I really, I, the more I talk about this episode, the more I like it. But the the early when Cisco and Cassidy are talking in bed in the cold open scene, uh, where mm-hmm. Cisco sarcastically calls himself a paragon of virtue. Yeah. Um, it's just, that's a, that's the defining story beat for Cisco here is that Cisco, you know, and it's funny because we, we've actually talked about how Cisco is maybe the least, uh, paragon of virtue in terms of the federation captain that we've had so far he's a little bit more nebulous in shades of gray than picard or kirk are and but he is still a star trek captain in the you know the uh, the capital letters version of that he is the mm-hmm. he's the character who represents the federation and eddington is the one that butts heads against him yeah no definitely um yeah i think this episode's really well written um and also garrick is here um <laughs> What did you think of the Garrick uh, plotline? I liked elements of it, but it felt kind of superfluous to me. Like it was, I thought it felt very modern. I thought it was a a storyline that is not really about anything, mm-hmm. but it is. Well, here's the reason I like it. I, I think that it, what it does is it contrasts against the other plot lines, which are all these causes smashing into each other. And they are the only two characters who are able to look past their cause and unite yeah, with each other. That's true. And I think that that's the point of that storyline. They are, because they are in exile and they have a different perspective on everything, they are more willing to adjust and adapt to each other and give up on what they think is their drive for life and that they are trying to get to a happier place just by accommodating each other. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think in general, the B plot thing in the show is starting to wear on me a little bit because there have been a lot of episodes that haven't had B plots that have been great episodes. And this one, the A plot is very, very good. And the B plot 
while I agree that, you know, I can see where it was thematically connected, I felt like it just was taking away from the main story a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think it was present too much? I, did, I didn't think it was that overbearing, actually. I thought if, if they had had another scene, I would have thought it was too much, but I thought it was nicely backgrounded. Yeah, no, it was definitely backgrounded. I mean, it was, I didn't think it was too intrusive. It was just, I was, I was thinking about this episode, thinking like the whole smuggling Cassidy thing is it's, you know, why do you even need a B plot? That's such a good story. And it's, it's written very well. Um, it seems odd for them to take a B plot that was so drastically not related. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I did like parts of it. I, uh, I is that's a new actress playing the girl, right? It is. Yeah. She, every time you see her, it's going to be a new actress. Basically, oh, really? they never they never stick with someone. Yeah. Um, I know that the girl playing her in this episode was uh, <laughs> the only other thing I've seen her in is is um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh right, sure. And I only know that because at the time I had a super crush on her, uh, <laughs> and then I don't think I ever saw her in anything else. So it was a very fleeting crush. <laughs> She'd been um, saving up for this. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I, I really liked, I think my favorite part of it was the, the scene in, in the actual sauna room where he's like, uh, so why am I here? And then, you know, she lists off this thing, all of the stuff about him saying like, you know, you're the person who, you know, I forget exactly what she says. Tortured tortured my grandfather. You can't be trusted. Kieran Ducat both hate you. Yeah, and then, you know, you could kill me at any time. And then he gets this really great beat where he's like, you know, generally you could not trust what they say or something like that. But in this case, they are 100% correct. I thought yeah. that line was great. Yeah, it's it's he came in armed, right? He was ready yeah, to yeah. do something. And that it was there really just there. Um, I guess it's a, it's a great push for like communication. I guess it's the thing yeah. there. It's like, if you, if you're able to talk out your differences, like those two are in the sauna room, you don't need to kill each other at the very end of the day. And um, yeah, the, the Cardassians become more and more reptilian as they sort of are drawn to heat and they look very reptilian. I don't know if that's the inspiration, but it's very, a very interesting thing. The Cardassian I, sauna. I did. Um, I did like the very much, uh, broadcast television nature of some of the things in this episodes mm. particularly particularly the first scene when uh Cassidy and Cisco wake up next to each other they are both fully clothed yeah and there's about a foot and a half of room between them in the bed they're sleeping in yeah and then later when they get to this sauna it's like isn't this sauna great that we're both laying on in full clothing like <laughs> full heavy clothing we need some clothes on yeah so the uh the um I don't know if it's broadcast standard, but the uh, I felt that it's, it's th- those scenes felt a little hokey. The same with the um, whatever the fuck that game Kira is playing at the very start, where Bashir and Garrick are watching her play that racquetball type game. Yes, um, I was I was getting flashbacks to the prisoner. It seemed yes, very uh, it, reminiscent felt, of uh, <laughs> arbitrary lights on the wall just lighting up whenever someone does something. Yeah, I can't I can't for the life of me remember what the hell that fake sport from the prisoner was, but it's great. It'll, nothing will ever top the prisoner version of that of no. that sport. That is just no. wonderful. They had trampolines, so that really elevates it to another and level. And water in the middle. Yeah. Yep. Um, did you have any anything you? Th- think uh didn't work in this episode anything you were sort of let down by or thought needed improvement or anything like that um 
Not really. I mean, it was. I thought it was pretty solid all the way through. Uh, let, me, let me give you some character beats that I wrote down because I thought yeah. that this episode is full of subtle character beats that they don't really go into. They are very tangential, but they, to me, it just feels uh, like the show really comfortable with itself. So uh, we we heart, we always sort of uh, go a little bit of criti- criticism towards uh, Jedzia Dax and the Terry Farrell and her portrayal. I love the characterization of Dax here where Cisco learns that Yates is smuggling and he has a conference room scene with them. Mm-hmm. And Dax has one line where she tries, she she has one line where she's like, well, it's just medicine. It's not guns, right? Ben, it's not that bad. And he tells her to, uh, to like cut it out. And then she wants to talk to him at the end and he says, dismissed, old man. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that's a really that's the good relationship between Dax and Cisco that they're able to play on. I think that Terry Farrell plays that really well, and it's a, you know, they don't even have a conversation, but that character relationship allows you to get a sense of what Cisco is thinking and where he's coming from. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, it did make me. It did bring up the old question though when he said "old man." I'm like, what? The, I what is the? How does this work? How does this <laughs> trill thing work? It, I, uh, it doesn't matter, but it makes for good lines. Um, yes, yeah, and I think they, I think they makes picked it sci-fi. The, yes, I think they picked the right actors or the right characters for certain scenes too, like that that uh, discussion on the Defiant. Yeah, Worf is going to be the guy who's the hardliner there about uh, going against the Federation or you know all that kind of stuff, and O'Brien's going to be the one who's like, eh, you know, I I come from a family of dissidents. Yes. You know, yep. that kind of thing. I fought With in a war. Sean O'Brien 400 years ago or whatever. <laughs> Sean right? Aloysius O'Brien. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, uh, my apologies to any Irishman that I had just offended with that accent. But, um, <laughs> I was dead on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and Eddington is, you know, company man, and they put him in that position, which is, I, I don't know, I just thought that scene was great. I thought they didn't, it's not really that long, and they don't really say a ton, but it's, they do a good job with it. I thought if I had to make one comment uh, in negative is, well, I, I guess it would be more of a question. Do you think Kira is suspiciously absent in this episode? Or do you think she's not really needed? Because she didn't really have much to do here. And it, I was trying to decide whether or not she would have any role in the proceedings as far as where she comes from as a character. Or do you think that she would have been too overpowering compared to Cisco. Well, I I think she kind of belongs in she needs to do the It's tough, right? Because if this was a TNG episode, Kira is the one who goes on the defiant at the end, right? Yeah. Because uh, Riker's always the one that beams down to the planet or does anything like that. They can't do that because Cisco needs to leave. Cisco needs to be separated from it. So I think that Kira needs to stay back to handle the replicator handoff right, or whatever right. they're doing. But that's such a boring plot line that I th- I think she's involved correctly here. She's in a couple conference room scenes and she gets shot as the sort of on the nose marker that Eddington has uh, defected. Basically, like that's her that's her role. And I, I don't know if I would consider her to be missing, but it's certainly not an important role. But it's very functional. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess that she's she's like head of security or something, right? Uh, she's. Why do I um, keep saying that? She's is, like she, first. She's like first officer, basically. She's the second in command. Oh, okay. All right. She's the Riker of DS Nine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I guess I just thought that she was. 
no, not that she really needs the screen time because she got a lot of screen time in this season. Um, but I, yeah, I just thought she was a little bit suspiciously absent. But I, yeah, I think she played. I think she picked up the, the 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 pieces that needed to be picked up by another character pretty well. Her one line, which is interesting, that we've never had confirmation to this point. The Federation did give Bajor replicators. We we learned that in this episode, they gave them two, and Kira is kind of upset that the Cardassians are getting thirteen uh, about mm. it. Mm. That's a really good scene, and I think that I think that her role there for that line is to just show that the Federation does have a strategic importance on the Cardassian Union to make sure that they sort of stay together. And in a sense, you could, in a modern context, you could see it as after the destruction of the Cardassian Union, the Federation needs to sort of get them back on their feet so that there's not a fertile ground for dissent in there. Like they need to sort of control the direction of the Cardassians at this point, because as we've seen, if you go in and you fuck up a country and then you just kind of leave it, there's a lot of room for, um, bad elements to take control. Right. And I think that that's an important role for what they do. It's nice to get the confirmation that they gave replicators to Bajor. That makes a lot of sense. And it's also nice to just, um, A, it gives you a sense that the Klingons and the Cardassians are out there fighting a war uh, against each other, even though we don't see that a lot. And the fact that how it's very important going forward for us to remember that the Cardassians are... um, sort of the Klingon war against the Cardassians has really left the Cardassians in a tough spot. Yeah. Do you think that there's like, do you think that, that uh, there's the, with only two replicators for the entire planet, there's like the uh, replicator equivalent of someone trying to pay for, pay for their groceries with like pennies where they, they go up and they're just like <laughs> one egg, boop, one egg, boop, one egg, boop, one egg. Boop, for like 20 minutes. Got a coupon. I, I'd have to imagine these replicators are gigantic, although it just I just think of the window within a window thing of like, why don't they just replicate more replicators and then just keep yeah. replicating things? So I, I and I would love to I would love to see a short of P, of different types of people trying to order things from replicators. Like is <laughs> the one guy who's like could you like what could I get like a like a, a lot, no. Like a, what if we, a small. I want a small <laughs> That's right. chicken, fried, uh, ooh, sorry, back that. Small chicken, boiled. Like, is is there one guy like that that just can't, <laughs> can't get out his order, like can't verbalize what he's trying to say? Well, is that better than having Jake Sisko who orders a coffee and bread and makes it foam when he sticks it in and, and his father is obviously disgusted by whatever he's decided to do <laughs> with his Cisco, life? Why was Sisko so disturbed by that? <laughs> <laughs> That's what this kid's doing like, all day. It's like if it's like if your son walked in and he he had he had a latte and you were like, "What is yep. that?" It's like well, it's you put a like latte, pop rocks yeah. in it, I think, or something. It was like pop rock bread. It's a latte. It's co- it's espresso and milk, but they foam the milk. Get out of my house. <laughs> he was upset, but that led to a very uncomfortable sexual conversation between the two of them that ended much better than it started, uh, where they have the nice scene. It's another character moment where Cisco tells Jake that what they have is forever. Uh, a little bit of subtext. And Jake understands that he's talking about Cassidy at that point, but it's a nice little scene between the two of them just uh, and then- reaffirming them. Reaffirming them. And then Jake's like, that's it, Dad. I'm going to Quark's. And then Ben's like, just the fact that you call it that means you're not ready. <laughs> and then the last thing I had was, it's a very, oh, and the uh, the other important Kira thing is Kira versus Garrick 
in this. Yeah, I I liked that scene, but I thought um, when she shoves him against the wall, it was like a very sensual shove. Yes, where she's like too she small. doesn't. He's too big. Yeah, she doesn't like push him arms out. She sort of like chests him into the wall, and it's like that. Why? I wonder why that was the choice. Because she's supposed to be being tough here, but she just sort of like does this weird kind of like stage hug. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not aggressive. It's a. It's a very careful, cautious uh, push. I think into the way. I, that that seems fine. Um, it inspires the conflict for Garrick there that you're supposed to know, and that someone is looking out for Zayal. It feels a little bit. It, it feels a little bit artificial in the sense that we haven't really seen Kira and Zayal do anything on the station together. So it just right. feels like they're referencing what their relationship should be, as opposed to what it uh, seems like it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything also, else? Or should we go to final thoughts? Yeah. Go. Well, ahead. I was just gonna say the, the when the scene where Garrick is uh, trying to fix Quark's suit. I'm pretty sure he says my pants are a meter too long. Yeah, he does. is he just is he just being uh, hyperbolic there? Or I think so, um, but he says it in a non-sarcastic manner. But I think he's supposed to be. I think he, I think he's joking. Although we never get a shot of the pants, so it can't be cleared up. Yeah, Ferengi fashion. It's pants. a lot. It's a lot of gaudy cloth Go down everywhere. To Quarks get a shot of those pants. <laughs> Make sure we got coverage on those pants. Those wide um, lapels. We're going to take a break. We're Room going to play an shoulders. audio clip. Mm. Me and Clay are going to come back, and we're going to give our final thoughts about For the Cause, and then we're going to read some patron thoughts. The only reason I've contacted you is to ask you to leave us alone. Our quarrel is with the Cardassians, not the Federation. Leave us alone, and I can promise you you'll never hear from the Maquis again. Unless you see another shipment you want to hijack. You keep sending replicators to Cardassia, and you're going to have a lot more to worry about than hijackings. I don't respond well to threats. I thought you would know that by now, but I'm beginning to see that you don't know me at all. I know you. I was like you once, but then I opened my eyes. Open your eyes, Captain. Why is the Federation so obsessed with the Maquis? We've never harmed you, and yet we're constantly arrested and charged with terrorism. Starships chase us through the Badlands, and our supporters are harassed and ridiculed. Why? Because we've left the Federation, and that's the one thing you can't accept. Nobody leaves Paradise. Everyone should want to be in the Federation. Hell, you even want the Cardassians to join. You're only sending them replicators because one day they can take their rightful place on the Federation Council. You know, in some ways, you're even worse than the Borg. At least they tell you about their plans for assimilation. You're more insidious. You assimilate people. And they don't even know it. All right. So if you guys support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you guys leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and we read them on the podcast. Holly McLaughlin says, for the cause, I love the wrench into Cisco and Yates's relationship that's been so careful and predictable up to this point. Cisco handles it pretty well and the relationship between Garrick and Zyall is believable, but would be more so if they didn't keep switching actresses. Stephen Cobb says, for the cause, why not replicate the replicators? An industrial replicator feels like the kind of replicator that can replicate replicators. Also, how old is Zyal? Is Garrick one of those age is just a number guys? Interesting. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are a difference in age, although with Jake Sisko running around, nothing can be uh, really confirmed or denied. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, for the cause, Eddington's line about how spying on, uh, on Cassidy isn't spying on a citizen because if she's guilty, she's forfeited her citizenship is eerily realistic. Excellent working of the some, longest con in Trek history. That's some pre-crime shit they're dealing with there. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Will Yates says, The relationship dialogue in the cold open rang true, but the pillows did not. Eddington was a tour de force in duplicity, and the actor nailed it. Cisco shows how level-headed he is when reminded Odo and Eddington only had suspicions. That quality would probably be requisite for a command-level officer in such a big galaxy. I wonder if using Garrick's services would be a mark of status in an economy without currency. Also, the Ferengi must be hands down the worst customers in the universe. I'd probably (laughs) care more about Garrick's B-story if they used a better actress for Zyal number two. Here I thought the slow push on on Eddington was used to great effect, and we finally get to see the spring ball about time. Yeah, that push in on the video of Eddington was very very unlike them. They don't usually do stuff like that on this show. Felt very robocopy. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was like, this guy kind of feels like a young Ronnie Cox. Uh, let's see. He does kind of look like a young Ronnie Cox, and that's just because he's balding like that. But <laughs> uh, Cal Barrett says, let's see if I can make it through this with a tickle in my throat. For the cause, with all the shakeups in the quadrant, like the alliance between the Cardassians and the Federation, the friction with the Klingons and the ever-present Dominion threat, I wasn't sure if the Maquis would even be relevant to the show anymore, but I think this episode makes a good argument why they are. They offer a more human drama, with Cisco being trapped between his duty and his love, and it allows for the continuation of a darker view of the Federation and its so-called paradise. Looking on Memory Alpha, as I am wont to do, it says that Eddington defected to the Maquis in this episode and had grown sympathetic with the group while on the station, that he wasn't yet a member but hooks up with them for the first time at the end of the episode. I forget if any future episode confirms this, but I had always thought that Eddington was a Maquis from the start, a spy on the station, and maybe even Cassidy's handler who betrayed her to the Federation in want of a bigger prize of the replicators. What do you guys think? What do you think, Clark? uh, I will say that just reminded me of of a big problem that I do have with this episode, which is when they do that scene at the end where he uh, comes up on the video, he's still wearing his Starfleet uniform and did not get one of those flowery Maquis uniform. Yeah, one of those sweet couch cushion pattern vests <laughs> that's true um so do you do you think eddington was a spy all along or has he been moved over to the maquis um i'm of the opinion that it was a slow i'm of the opinion in that first episode where he talks to cisco about his career choice he is not a member of the Maquis. I think it is something that developed over time. I actually would have liked to have seen Eddington in a few more episodes this season, uh, yeah. just as a sort of reminder that he's there and maybe hint towards this. But I don't know if the hint would have ruined anything, but just to uh, like get a a better sense of him and where he is at that point. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think he was a spy the whole time. I think it was a. Yeah, I would. I'd be want to believe that it's a a slow change or you know whatever. Yeah, a character development that we don't see. It's just off screen. Yeah, character development, you know, over the course of that you can look back if you're part of the creation of the show and be like, well, you know, we, we tried to leave little hints here and there and, and until you find out, ah, yeah, we actually we did we decided to do that two weeks before we shot the episode. Yeah, yeah. The other script wasn't working out. We needed to do yeah. something else. Uh, Matthew Ross says, for the cause, I really like the tension Cisco feels and emotes here. He knows on one level his own girlfriend is a dirty and has doubts, but does do the right thing in acting on suspicions. And the attitude on display of a commander conflicted with a choice that may affect his personal life was well displayed. Eddington's duplicity was unexpected when I first saw this. You can uh, you can 2020 it now, but his soja boy straight arrowness made the turn all the more shocking and surprising. The fallacy of the perfection of the Federation is clearly on display from the pirate of virtue comment to Eddington's notation that the Borg are more straightforward and that the Federation like an amoeba that jams root beer down your throat. Clearly <laughs> a questioning of exporting Americanism worldwide in this episode. 
The B story of Zayal and Garrick was a sweet distraction, if that, and very light, but just enough to show some pain that they both feel about being outcasts. Who wears all the clothing in the spa? Who wears all their clothing in the spa? Virtual, virtual otherwise. Cardath- uh, oh, virtual or, or otherwise. Cardassians need some iron tables for sure. Quark's sage advice to Garrick and Kira's overprotectiveness are well acted and seem realistic. A good set of stories that begins to show that you don't mess with Cisco and how the hero Inspector Javert comes into being. And the last comment from Neil Brennan says, For the cause, what a thoroughly grown-up episode. Smart stuff played well. Eddington's FaceTime face-off with Cisco is the highlight for me. The gimmick, the captain confronting his enemy on screen, works surprisingly well often and surprisingly often on Star Trek. Do you have any ideas why? What do you think, Clay? We've complained about seeing uh, starship battles off screen. So why does the view screen thing work on some level? If you think it works or if you don't think it does. Um... Well, because you didn't need to see them both in the same shot. I mean, I, they're they're tracking them, so I assume they're hanging back far enough that uh, that you uh, you know whatever they're they the 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 view screen thing is interesting because they don't um, they don't really tell you what the distance is, and sometimes it's it's great distances, and sometimes it's not. Um, and they pull it up as though it's something right outside right out in front of the ship, but then they're like, oh, they're about 100,000 miles away or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, for all, but for in all this the case, communication problems they have with each other, sometimes communicating across vast distances and not being able to track it is a very easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought here there was no real... Uh, the, the ships didn't really need to engage each other, so I, 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 that's probably why they didn't feel the need to put, put them together on the same screen. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I mean, it feels to me... In a uh, another show that's not Star Trek, that's a kind of scene where Eddington would have the upper hand over Cisco in some sort of physical situation, like Eddington is armed, and he explains this to Cisco before he steps onto a shuttle or beams out of there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you, you could have it in the same room, um, but I th- I don't think it really loses anything in Star Trek by doing it this way. Uh, I th- I think that the I think as an actor, it gives you a little bit of a different way to play it than if you're worried about the sort of blocking and the physical setup of it. It's Mm -hmm. a little bit just like you can rely purely on your audition skills of saying the dialogue (laughs) effectively. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think he does a pretty good job. Uh, So what do you, thank you, patrons. Thank you very much for commenting. Thank you for leaving your thoughts about For the Cause and supporting the show. Clay, on our scale of one to five, what are you going to give For the Cause? I'd give us a five. Yeah, you didn't have much uh, negative about it, I, I think. It's, it was an enjoyable episode to watch, especially coming off The Muse, which we just watched. This one, like, it's funny to me comparing the two of them. The Muse feels like a very old, traditional way to write a Star Trek episode, and this feels different than that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, it's, uh, it's a very well-built story uh, that, uh, that doesn't... Um, leave there's it's not like a first half of a two-parter uh and uh it's just the they 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 build it very well like there i don't feel like the story ends up going downhill anywhere like it's it's a consistent ratcheting up of what's going on not not to like a an insane degree but like it keeps you engaged you know yeah Um, yeah and you know they 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 and the resolution is it's not satisfying from a uh, we need to wrap things up and make sure that 
it's we have a clean ending, satisfactory, but it's satisfying from a, a narrative sense. Yeah. In that, yeah. what they give you as the as the outcome to the things they set up is a satisfying outcome. It's funny you mentioned it's not sense, a two parter. I, I feel like there's a way that this could have become a two parter and it would have made it much less satisfying. You know, like if they. Yeah. If this was the end of the first part and then everything was resolved in the second episode, I think that's a, just a kind of a letdown of everything that the episode is saying. But it could have been done that way, I think. Like, that's a very traditional Star Trek plotting that I think uh, if they had done it as a two-part, it would have been. Yeah, you very easily could have had this, you know, the end The end of your first part could have been Cisco being like, well, if I'm supposed to be here, what's going on at the, <gasps> and then cut over to the thing with Eddington and then the last scene is Eddington shooting Kira. I mean that would yes. that would be the the point where you cut it for your your first half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 glad that they didn't do that that way. Uh, I'm going to give it a five as well. Um, I think it's a very very strong episode. It's maybe not an all time classic, but I think it's really really good. Um, and it's just a sort of well scripted examination of where the show sits at this point. Like it, it sort of throws everything into the air, and you see where it falls. And it's really interesting. Everything has an outcome that is. Uh, something different. A lot has changed. You get a lot of character insight. It's a lot of good character work. You get some great lines. I just think that there's nothing really wrong with this one. It works pretty much on every level. Yeah. All right, guys. So two fives for me and Clay. You guys had your comments. Thank you very much. If you want to support the show, there's all the social media. There's the generic social media, Facebook and Twitter. Discord is the one that matters. If you want to go to Discord and hang out and talk with the community, you go there. If you want to support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff, you get extra um, podcasts, videos, blah, blah, blah. We're going to be doing a TNG trivia night, I think, is the upcoming patron thing. So stay tuned for that. If you're interested, check out the Patreon and you can sign up if you want to be a part of that Star Trek TNG trivia night at, uh, not at my house, but on the internet anyway. And then uh, that's about it. I think rate the show on iTunes if you're so inclined. Use your iPhone. It's the easiest way to do it. Do you have anything you want to say, Clay? Uh, Poser 3 is in stores now. Actually, uh, the first issue of my new book, Night Moves, I think just came out or is probably coming out next week. I just got my comps in the mail, so it it means it's out or it's coming out. So mm-hmm. uh, keep your eyes open for that. And if you happen to be watching any Batman the Animated Series, check out the Bat-Ass Podcast where me and Sean Murphy talk about Batman the Animated Series. And, you know, sometimes we talk about hentai. Yes, as, as you want to do. Yeah. As it comes up, you know, you know, as it comes up in casual conversation. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that's it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And uh, we'll be back in a couple days with To the Death, which will be a patron guested episode. It's one of the last ones we have with a patron. Uh, but that'll be coming out in a couple days. We meet Wayun, so it's a big event. And I think that is going to be it. We're going to wrap it up right there. Thank you very much for listening. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Guys, we will see you next time.